0: We're in this, this series, um, and, and it's all part of what we're focusing on this year, 2020 vision. Come see what God can do. God is taking us on a journey. We are all pilgrims, and, and those who believe are on our way to the celestial city. And in that process, God is doing a great work. He's doing the work in us and through us. God has the power to change lives, to take us from being dead sinners to living saints. This is the power of God, and we get to be a part of it. At Living Hope, we we talk about our place in the world is to impact our, our homes, our neighbors, and every generation with the hope of Jesus. And I want to encourage you to process this not only as an understanding of what we're supposed to be doing, but also to make an assessment of your own Christian life. Are you impacting our homes, our neighbors, and every generation with the hope of Jesus? This is what we're called to do. And understand, when that impact happens, there will be a radical life change. What we're doing in our current series is we're studying what that life change looks like. Now, to, to get a handle on that, we're, we're walking through three particular verses in the book of Ephesians. And last week, by way of illustri- uh, by way of introduction, rather, I, I outlined for you two ways of thinking about life change. One that is biblical and one that is not. One is behavioral modification, and this is not biblical. This is not the life change that that the, the Word of God and the Gospel calls us to. Behavioral modification is this, living differently on the outside but have no change on the inside. This is not what God calls us to. God calls us to a Gospel transformation. What's a Gospel transformation? It's becoming different on the inside and expressing it on the outside. So once we become alive through the power of the Holy Spirit, once Jesus Christ resides in us and lives in us and we live in Him, that's going to be manifested in our behavior. It's going to change the way we live. Changing stuff on the inside is not going to change our heart. But when God changes our heart and we experience the life change of the gospel, there will be a difference in the way in which we live. Now last week we started off by talking about grace. Life change begins with grace. And here's what we said about grace and what grace does. God's grace redeems our past, sustains our present, and guarantees our future, making us whole. This is a very important word, whole. Whole is what we're made by salvation. To say that I am saved is to say I have been made whole. Because we are all born in sin as sinners, our relationship with God is broken. And because our relationship with God is broken, we're broken on the inside. That's why we feel so much anxiety, that's why we feel so insecure, that's why we have these fears and, and, and these inappropriate desires, because our hearts are broken, the way we think is broken, it's not right. And because we're not right with God and we're not right with Him, it messes up our other relationships. That's why we have a lack of forgiveness, that's why there's so much hatred, that's why there's so much discord, is because we're, we're not right with God right within, so we can't be right with others. Now what God can do in grace is He can make us whole. And so if you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, take it out and let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. Last week, again, we looked at the first seven verses of verse 8. Over the next, over this week and next week, three weeks, we're going to look at verses 8, 9, and 10. Today we're going to dig in a little bit more in verses 8 and 9, but what I want you to see there are three pictures of what grace can do, and those are found in verses one through seven of Ephesians 2. The first picture is of your past. If you're a Christian, verses one through three describes what you were. Verses four through six describes what you are. That's a picture of what you are now. And verse seven is a picture of what is to be. That's what is coming. And that all happens by grace. Today, we're going to. We're going to look at faith. Now faith is what is required for life change to happen. Now to talk about faith, it can get complicated. And so I want you to really understand, you're going to need to do some thinking this morning. Something, something so simple as faith is, is actually a complex thing. It, here's how I've, I've, I think about it as I was talking to our pastors who are preaching today this text in different locations it's like trying to talk to fish about the water they live in. Fish don't know they're in water, they're just in water. This is what they know. To be human is to live by faith. It's what you live in. You can't help it. We can't help it. We are made to live in and by faith. What what I want us to to look at is, is to look at what is our faith? What is our faith in? How is that impacting our lives? And so our text today, it reveals the importance of faith and what it is we need to be looking at. So let's look now at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Hannah, why don't you come on up and read that for us. Let's all stand together in honor of God's Word as Hannah reads for us. Now she's going to read all three verses. We're going to focus in on verses, uh, the latter part of verse 8 and verse 9. Hannah, go ahead and read that for us. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Hannah. If you guys would, go ahead and be seated. You know, someone has said that people don't fear change, they fear uncertainty. We're all experiencing change, can't help it. We live in time, and over time everything changes. So we're all dealing with change, and so to talk about life change is to talk about reality. Now those who live by grace through faith in Christ alone, we have certainty. There is hope in the change that we're experiencing, and and that, that certainty is crucial. Some of you are here today, and you're living by faith, but the faith that you have is not creating certainty. As a matter of fact, the faith that you are exhibiting is creating anxiety, frustration, it's causing more difficulties within your life. As we explore God's Word today, I want to encourage you to think through the life change that God wants to bring, understanding again. Life change begins with grace. Grace is what we would call the material cause. It is the thing that causes life change to happen. You think about those first seven words there in in, in verse 8, for by grace you have been saved. It's by grace. Grace is the gift. We talked about that last week. This week we want to talk about the instrumental cause. Faith is the instrumental cause. Uh, faith is instrumental cause, the means that causes life change to happen. If grace is the gift, faith is the reception of it. It's the action that activates the grace to be at work in our lives. So, what we're talking about is the instrumental cause that makes grace work. Let's look at what faith does. Let's, let's think about what faith in the Gospel produces in order for life change to happen. Again, we're in Ephesians. Now I, I want to make sure we're, we're kind of getting a broader picture than just these three verses. The book of Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul. Paul was in prison when he wrote these words. He's writing to a church where he pastored there for three years. The book of Acts says while he preached there that the gospel was heard by everyone in that region. So Paul is writing to people he knows really well. He sent his his protege. Timothy to pastor that church. Now Paul is in prison when he wrote these, these, this letter. And what he's doing here, and I want you to see this, he's divided this letter, what is for us the book of Ephesians, into two parts. I want you to look at this real quick. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 are doctrinal truths. What we have there in those three chapters are, are, are the basics of New Testament doctrine, all that the Old Testament teaches. Points to these crucial doctrines found in these first three chapters. Chapters four, five, and six, these are practical commands. These are the ways that we live out the doctrines that are taught in Ephesians 1 through 3. So here we are in chapter 2, right in the middle of the doctrinal section of this letter. And and what we are are studying here is crucial to our existence, crucial to understanding life change. It, It begins with grace, but it happens through faith. Now what is faith? Let me give you an old ancient definition of that using three words, faith is believing, agreeing and trusting in something or someone. It's more than believing, although it is believing, that's convinced is true, that's, it's a truth. The demons believe in God, but it doesn't save them. James says that. They believe in shudder, but they're not saved. Why? Well, because they don't agree. They don't, they don't accept the authority of Christ as right. Instead, they want to do their own thing, and that's why they're condemned. And that's why all are condemned, who who do not have faith in Christ alone. Because you can say you believe in God, you can even say, hey, I think Jesus is God. I think Jesus is, is the Savior of the world. But unless you agree and then trust Him, that is rely on Him, then you cannot be saved. You cannot, you cannot experience the work of grace. Now understand this, everyone, everyone in this room, every person on this planet, is living by faith in someone or something for some reason. You are like a fish in water, and the water is faith, and you are the fish, and you are living in faith. But what? The Bible, as I see it, shows two kinds of faith that exist for human beings. Two kinds. The first is saving faith. Saving faith is the faith that releases the power of grace into our lives and allows us to experience the life change that we're talking about. The other kind of faith, and this is a word used in the Old and New Testament, the other kind of faith is called idolatry. Idolatry is placing your hope, your faith, trusting in, believing, accepting in anything other than Jesus Christ to define you, to make your life meaningful, and to give you purpose. Now there are many who, who, who profess saving faith, but they still live under the authority of idols and idolatry. Doing this is a huge mistake. Doing this is what the theologians theologians call syncretism. Let me give you a a theological definition here. Syncretism its the combination of different forms of faith practice, genuine saving faith and idolatry. Syncretism does not work. If you're saying, hey, I believe in Jesus Christ, and Jesus is great, and I know He's my Savior, but I need these other things for my life to have meaning. I need these other things. What are these other things? Over the years I've I've realized, and, and if you've been here for a while, for a few years, you've heard me talk about these four idols that everyone is tempted by. And You may be tempted by one, you may be tempted by all four to replace Jesus as what is most important and what it is you place your faith in. I call them the four Ps. What are they? Power, popularity, pleasure and possessions. Everyone in this room, every person on this planet is tempted to trust Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, and at the same time trust in one or more of these things to make life meaningful and significant and, 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 and truly livable. Now syncretism, syncretism doesn't work because these things won't last. They can't produce the life change that we want, but we pursue them anyway. And most of the time, most of the time, not all the time, most of the time we pursue one or more of these by by trying to get money. Often what we do is we pursue money so that we can get one of four of these things. Now listen to me, money is not evil. Money is not bad. It's the pursuit that, that can cause all kinds of evil. It's the root. Here's what the Bible says: First Timothy 6:10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Money's not evil. The love of money is a root that can cause all kinds of problems. Why? It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. What happens is there are people say, Yeah, I trust in Jesus Christ. He's my Savior, but I need these other things. I need power, I need pleasure, I need popularity, I need possessions. And to get these things, I gotta have money. And so we begin to pursue, rather than Jesus Christ, we begin to pursue money. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. And and there are many who are making this mistake. They're saying, yes, I trust Jesus Christ, but I need power, pleasure, possessions, popularity, and I'll use money to get those things. Syncretism doesn't work because it short-circuits your faith, it short-circuits your capacity to be changed by what the grace of God alone can do. Not everybody is tempted by money in the same way. Not everyone is tempted by the same idol in the same way. It's very important though that you be able to identify what tempts you. What would draw you away from trusting in Christ alone? And it's something. Let me tell you how I do it, all right? I fill in this blank, and I seek to be very honest with myself. How do you fill in this blank? If I don't have blank, then my life is meaningless and cannot be satisfied. Heads up, if that blank is not filled with Jesus Christ alone, it's the wrong answer. But here's the thing, don't just lie to yourself to get the right answer. Be honest. What is it that you would honestly say, I must have in order for my life to have meaning and for me to be satisfied? Is it power? Is it pleasure? Is it popularity? Is it possessions? And, and listen, it's, it's not just you. Be very careful. Uh, I, I talked with someone today, and by the way, we've had great conversations today in, in, in thinking this through. And, and it was a precious mother who was saying, okay, w- what if it's my children? And I asked the question, well, what do you want for them, power, pleasure? popularity or possessions. See what a lot of parents want to do is they want to take a good thing like a child and then they want to realize their dreams through that child and say, oh, I don't want anything for me. I just, I do everything for them because, you know, I live for them. Children are terrible gods. I would thought I was going to get a little more amens out of that. So, So don't worship them. And trying to, to find justification and meaning in it it doesn't work, so you got to be careful. But can I tell you, companies, governments, products make terrible gods. And, and you got to be very careful, understand whatever defines us, whatever drives us, wh- whatever it is that gives us hope, that determines our purpose, that's our God. What gets you up in the mornings? What fills you with hope? What drives you forward? What what makes you sense significance? Is it something other than Jesus Christ? Then that's an idol. That's an idol. See saving faith is in Christ alone to give your life meaning, to give you hope, to give you significance, to give you a drive and a reason to live. Anything else is idolatry. Let me ask you, what are you counting on to make you whole? Is it truly Christ alone? Where's your faith? What is your faith in? Everyone's looking for something because everyone's broken. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and our sin has created brokenness. So there's none of us, not one of us was born whole. We're all looking to be made whole. What are you looking to? Scripture says, listen, repent of sin and brokenness. Repent of self-dependence, and instead have faith, believe in Jesus Christ alone, the gospel, the good news of what God has done, so that you can be made whole and pursue and recover God's design. Everything else, power, pleasure, popularity, possessions, they create more brokenness in their pursuit. Christ alone in the pursuit of Him brings life together, makes life meaningful, gives you purpose, gives you hope, gives you life. Everything else robs you. So where is your faith? Understand, only God can fix us. And God has given grace to fix us. God's grace is understood in the gospel, what Christ has done. And it is the gospel and not our efforts, not our works that we can be saved by. So write it down and take note. Saving faith is believing, agreeing, and trusting in the gospel and not our works. That's why the Scripture says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. Friends, grace is the material cause, the thing that causes life change to happen. The Gospel is the work of God that makes grace possible. It is by grace, provided in the Gospel, that a person is saved. Again, let me give you a theological definition of grace. What is grace? Grace is unmerited favor given by God. It is getting from God what we don't deserve and could never earn. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Grace is a gift. It is the material cause of salvation, of being made whole. Faith is the instrument by which we receive this grace. Faith is the the tool that we use to, to, to get where God wants us to be. We gain the effects of grace through saving faith. Saving faith is the instrument that enables grace to be administered to us. Saving faith enables us to be saved, that is, made whole by grace. Now everyone has an instrumental cause. Everyone has faith. The question is, what is your faith in? I'm going to tell you, Christ alone can be trusted. And I know there's so many things, I can't do this. Those who cannot place their faith in Christ, they remind me of some of my family and some of my friends who absolutely will not get on an airplane. They won't do it. They will not get — how many of you have friends or family members who under — there's no way you'd have to drug them or or knock them out to get them to go on an airplane? Do you have any people like this? These people — me, testimony right there. Here's what happens. I, I talk to family friends, I say, look. Can I tell you the statistical data about flying on an airplane? They don't care. I give them my testimony. I have flown for hours and hours. Let me give you my testimony. Here's here's the thing, it's safe, it's okay, it's a a good instrument to get where you want to go. I can never do it. I, I throw out a scenario sometimes to them just to mess with them. I say to them, you know, what if someone came and said, listen, We're going to give you a free two weeks in Hawaii, on the beach, in a house, all inclusive, including the transportation, which is an airplane. Would you do it?" I can't do it! (laughs) But here's the thing, and I remind them all the time, you are Transporting yourself. You're walking. Most of you walk today. You're getting in a car. That's crazy. I can take you down to our student center and show you teenagers that are proof that it's crazy to drive in our city. A few college students. But but we're all being transported. Here's the thing: we're all trusting in something. Let me ask you, what is your instrumental cause? What are you trusting in? What are you believing in? What are you accepting that's going to give your life meaning? What is it that you're counting on? What is it you're leaning into? Everyone is is living by faith in something or someone for some reason. If you're not trusting in Jesus. You're trusting in something, and let me tell you something about that something, it's not enough. See, if you're not trusting in Jesus, you're you're having to trust in a created thing. It may be you, it may be an institution, it may be in a relationship. Can I tell you something about all those things? They don't last. Your soul is going to last. Great is His faithfulness. His his faithfulness, He's faithful through every generation. He never fails. Everything else, everything else fails, but God does not. So what what must we have faith in to experience this wholeness? What does the saving faith demand? First of all, it demands faith in who God is, all right? Hebrews 11 verses 1-3 through and then verse 6, all right, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are, that are visible." So demons understand this, all right? They believe this. They accept it as true, all right? They don't necessarily think it's right, but they believe it. Now what about those of us who want to be right with God? Who want to be made whole? You've got to understand, without faith it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him." Now, how does He reward? What is it specifically that we must believe in order to receive the gift of God? What we have to be able to say what the Apostle, said, Apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. Before I read this, I want you to, I want you to think to yourself and, 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 and be very, very honest. Can you say this about yourself? Can you honestly say this about yourself? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Can you say that? Can you say, I've given up my old life and its desire for power and pleasure and popularity and possessions, that's not what I'm about? I'm trusting in Christ, He's my life, He's in me, I'm in Him. That old life, I'm done with that, I'm now pursuing Him. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. If I can earn it, then Christ died for no reason. If I can somehow merit grace? Then Jesus died for nothing. Friends, I'm going to tell you, Jesus died for something. He died for you and me. He died because we can't earn grace. It is unmerited favor. It is God's gift. And the only way we can receive it is by faith. Here's good news. Romans ten nine. because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead... Look at what happens to you. You will be saved. You will be made whole. Your relationship with God will be made right. You will be made right within so that you can be right with others. You will be made whole. For with our heart, with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. Friends, have you confessed? Have you repented of your sin? And do you believe in Christ alone for salvation to make you whole? Have you been saved? If you have, there, there's now three parts to your life, three parts to your story, three parts to your testimony. And you can finish each one of these, each one of these statements with just a few words that would complete a sentence. You can say, before I repented and believed the Gospel, and you can describe your life. You can say, like I can say, before I repented and believed the Gospel, I was on my own and I didn't care about anybody but me. But I repented of my sin and believed the Gospel when I was 15 years old on June 28, 1988, when I got on my knees in my bedroom in the middle of the night and I trusted Christ as my Savior. Now that I am a disciple of Jesus, Jesus is teaching me that He's all I need. He is my hope. Power, pleasure, popularity, possessions, the pursuit of money, none of that can satisfy my soul. Christ alone. Do you have three parts to your life story? Can you share it within 15 seconds? Before I met Jesus, when I met Jesus, now that I know Jesus, my life is... If you've you've not gotten to that place yet, friends, you can do that right now. Your story can change right now. You don't don't have to to do any cartwheels, we're not going to time you in your 40-yard dash or your mile run. All you have to do is confess. Believe in your heart that Christ died for you, that He's been raised, and ask Him to forgive you and take over your life, and right now you'll be saved. And if you have been saved, your life is changing. Your life is changing because who's at the center of your life now? And if you will be saved, understand your life will change from the inside out because who will become the center of your life? Take note and understand this. Saving faith causes life change by making us Christ-centered. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And, And this is not of yourself. This is not of works. It is a gift from God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Friends, salvation is God's gift. Salvation is experienced by grace through faith in Christ alone. We cannot boast about anything we have done to be saved, because the only thing that we bring to our salvation is sin. I've said this before, I want to say it again, I want you to get this. The only thing we bring to our salvation is our sin. Someone says, no, 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 I'm a good person. You know what, I gave some money, I did some nice things. Yes, everything any of us have ever done has been tainted with sin. Even the good things we do are tainted. The only thing that we bring to our salvation is sin. God the Father brings the grace needed for us to be saved. It's by grace. Grace is given to us by the Father. What did the Son do? Well, Jesus, God the Son, brings the payment needed for us to be saved. The Bible says in Romans, the wages of sin is death. So Jesus Christ, God in flesh, died to pay for our sin, and He defeated death through His resurrection. Now in order for us to actually act on this grace by faith, we need a work of the Holy Spirit. God the Spirit brings new life and conviction for us to be saved. God the Spirit, through His Word and through the proclamation of truth, convicts us of the reality of our awareness that we need to be saved. Some of you in this room, you are not saved, and you don't even desire to be saved yet. Let me encourage you to ask God to bring you under conviction. Say something like this, God, if you're real. Show me by bringing me under conviction. Convince me of your love and of what Jesus has done. Do a work in my life." If you have experienced salvation, your life is different, and you're living differently. And, and we know why, because of what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 beginning in verse nineteen. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body." When you you trust Jesus Christ, you know that you have been bought with a price, the the blood of God. And you're not your own anymore. You've been filled with the Spirit of God, and you have been purchased to be God's possession, God's child, God's redeemed child. and now. You owe Him everything. And and you can sing happily the old hymn, Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. What was sin? Sin had left a crimson stain, it made me dirty. Jesus washed it white as snow, I'm now pure, I'm now right with God. I have peace with God, I have peace within, I can pursue peace with others. I can pursue and recover God's design. My life can be changed. I can, I can be defined by and live for that which will truly satisfy. Friends, if you want Christ, come ask Him. He'll forgive you. Children of God, is there an idol that you need to kill today? Come ask God to help you. Get on your knees and say, Father, I keep trying to add stuff to you to save me, to make me whole. Forgive me. Let me ask you something. Do you need physical healing in your body? Do you need emotional healing? Do you need God to do a miracle? If you're the child of God, good news, all you gotta do is ask Him. Now, some say, well, what if He says no? Friends, listen to me. A thousand years from now, you'll thank Him. Because if God says no, He has a good reason. But you'll never know God's will until you pray. Ask specifically for God to provide for a need in your life today, and trust His will and His power. Let's stand together. Father God, here's what I know is that we all need saving faith. I know we are all tempted with idols. And I I know from Your Word, and I know from experience, and I know from the testimony and the stories of others, nothing else will do except You, Lord Jesus. So would you today bring faith? I pray for some who who would want to say, Lord, forgive me, make me Your own, fill me. for, For the glory of God, give me new life and change my life. Lord, there are some of Your children today who want to come and say, Lord, help me, help me to defy the idle temptations that are in my life. And then, Lord, those who need physical and emotional and relational healing, help them, Lord. Strengthen them. Hear their prayer and and answer. And Lord, as we pray for an awakening, hear our prayer, O God. We ask this in Christ's name. Come and pray as we sing together.